Hello and welcome to Spin Class. Sorry about that glitch at the top of the hour. My name is Nahum Siegel, sitting in tonight for Michael Fragan. It will be the uh, final time that I sit in for Michael Fragan during this season. He'll be back next week once the uh, campaign is officially over. Some people claim the campaign is already over. Uh, referring to the New York City mayoral campaign, I guess we can discuss that and we will discuss it. Uh, Michael Fragan will join us in the second half hour tonight. We will check in with him. He is uh, on the campaign trail with Joe Loda. The numbers look immense. The numbers look uh, unbelievable. Uh, how a New York City mayoral election will be decided, or at least speculation today, is that it will be decided by uh, 40 points or more. By a margin of 40 points or more is hard to believe. It's just difficult to believe. Uh, we'll see what Michael Fragan has to say about it. He'll join us. Jacob Cornblue in the first uh, part of our show. He has been following this campaign for a long, long time, and I would bet he cannot believe that it is soon going to be over. Uh, and we'll get his perspective on things as uh, he'll join us coming up in just a few minutes from now here at Spin Class. The Nahum Siegel Network, uh, we put in an amazing day here today on a Thursday at jmnam.org and nahumsegel.com. Really a lot of uh, tremendous activity. I want to thank those who uh, were on the um, on the network this morning. I want to thank uh, Charlie Harari and Miriam L. Wallach. I want to thank uh, Dr. Lieberman. I want to thank Mark Zamek. Uh, who am I leaving out? I want to thank uh, everybody who was part of an amazing Thursday schedule. Spin Class wraps up your Thursday every single week uh, with a uh, program between 6 and 7 Eastern time. And uh, Michael Fragan is expected back in this seat next week. You know, there's a cover story, uh, this week's Jewish Week, by Adam Dichter. Barring a seismic shift in public opinion as measured by consistent polling, Bill de Blasio is on track to become New York's 109th mayor in the biggest landslide in decades. The most recent survey gives the Democratic nominee and current public advocate a seemingly insurmountable 45-point lead over Republican Joseph Loda, the former deputy mayor and ex-MTA chief, who never seemed to gain traction in the general election cycle. Succeeding independent Michael Bloomberg after a dozen years in January, de Blasio's biggest and most immediate challenge would be negotiating postponed deals with the city's unions. And putting together a first budget, he has promised, will shift priorities to deal with a stark income gap. Reforming reforming uh, police procedure and public education are also high on the agenda, but a Mayor de Blasio, the first Democrat to hold office since 1993, will also encounter pressures from Jewish groups based on campaign positions he's taken, Hasidim and Haredi leaders will remind him of his pointed criticism of Bloomberg's court challenge consent decree regarding a risky circumcision practice. Others will remind his support, will remember rather, his support for daycare vouchers eliminated by Bloomberg that have heavily assisted large struggling Orthodox families. He has also said he'd be open to ways of helping religious and other private schools get more public funding if it doesn't conflict with the law. And social service organizations all over the city will be looking for cues about how their contract processes may change. Although de Blasio doled out funds as a councilman to worthy causes in his Brooklyn district, he later became a stark critic of the member item process because of his its pension for corruption has called to that system to be scrapped. With no indication of who will succeed Christine Quinn as speaker, it remains to be seen if that leader will be a friend or a foe of the mayor and how he or she views the 
member item process, which is negotiated in the budget with the mayor. The, that uncertainty, uncertainty is causing some anxiety within the organized Jewish social service network at a time when some programs for the needy have already been frozen because of a state probe of misappropriated funds at the Met Council. One Jewish organizational leader has spoken in condition of anonymity because his organization has no official statement on the matter as of yet, said he was hopeful an alternative to scrapping member items could be found that also addressed the corruption concerns. There are a number of ways one could retool the system, said the official. You could have a pot of money for aging and youth services go through the council or go through city agencies with council input. This could have been this could have more accountability, and I would hope we could engage with the new mayor, whoever that, whoever that may be, to discuss how to make sure his money is best spent and avoid the political and financial pitfalls we have seen in a very small number of contracts. Quinn, during her mayoral campaign, cited new methods of transparency as sufficient reform to avoid corruption. De Blasio's campaign did not respond to several requests for an interview. The campaign also did not respond to prior inquiries about his view on a pending matter of religion and law. The Human Rights Commission's efforts to rein in Orthodox shops in Williamsburg who post modesty rules for customers. Lotus says the rules infringe on religious practice. As mayor, de Blasio might be pressed for a stance on the matter. De Blasio has formed close ties with Orthodox communities in Brooklyn during his two terms in the council, representing a district that includes part of Borough Park. Although he's outspoken in support of Israel, he may be less likely to speak out on foreign policy as mayor than some of his predecessors. He's not going to be involved in international affairs the way the late Ed Koch was involved says former state senator Seymour Lachman, who served alongside de Blasio in a district that overlapped with his council district. Lachman said a preoccupation with overseas issues, even when they don't impact an official's job, was more of an older generation thing. One exception, however, might be Iran. As public advocate, de Blasio was an activist in pressuring American companies not to do business with that country because of its nuclear program and antipathy toward Israel. Lockman said the Blasio would be fair and square in issues affecting the Jewish community like Sabbath observance. Prominent Jewish staff members in de Blasio's campaign who stand to move to City Hall include his deputy chief of staff at the Office of the Public Advocate, Avi Fink, who has served as an aide to several local politicians in the past, including Anthony Weiner when he was congressman in Queens. Fink is the son of a prominent Orthodox rabbi, Ruvain Fink of the Young Israel of New Rochelle and Westchester, and a Queens College graduate. Also on de Blasio's current staff is Penny Ringel, who is a Community liaison who previously worked for David Strobin of Brooklyn during his brief tenure in the state Senate and for Simcha Felder when he was a councilman. Other prominent Jews known to be close to de Blasio include Leon Goldenberg, a real estate mogul in Brooklyn who was an early supporter of his mayoral campaign. Yerucham Silber, a former de Blasio council aide and current director of the Borough Park Jewish Community Council. And Avayitzchak Fleischer, a Bubba Chassid and founder of the Sex Speaker Cholom organization. In a recent interview with Tablet, a Jewish web magazine, Fisher spoke of his early support for de Blasio's council aspirations. He owes me everything, he said. Without me, he wouldn't be any place. Others who have de Blasio's ear include Jonathan Greenspun, the former head of the Community Assistance Unit under Michael Bloomberg, who is now a consultant with Mercury Public Affairs. Although Greenspun gave $400 to Loda in March, he later hosted a fundraiser for de Blasio. So did Matthew Hiltzik, a former spokesman for the State Democratic Party, who now has his own public relations firm. Bronx businessman and philanthropist Jack Bentheim, a top contributor to the Hillary Clinton Senate campaign, is also a major de Blasio backer, having contributed the maximum in 2012. De Blasio also has a good relationship with Brooklyn Assemblyman Dove Hyken, dating back to the 2000 Clinton campaign when as campaign manager de Blasio tried to persuade Hyken to back the then First Lady, although Hyken's district was too anti-Hillary for that to happen. Anti-Hillary for that to happen. De Blasio scored a victory of sorts by convincing the Orthodox politician not to back Republican Rick Blasio. A recent column on the website Politico detailed the key role in the campaign of three top strategists, Emma Wolf. 
Anna Greenberg and Rebecca Kersner-Katz, one of the Blasio's confidants who spoke on condition of anonymity, said the presumptive mayor's closest allies while in the council were Yvette Clark and Tish James of Brooklyn and Gail Brewer of Manhattan. All of them progressive labor-backed allies, said the source. Clark has now moved on to the House of Representatives, while Brewer's poised to be the next Manhattan borough president, and James is running unopposed for public advocate. With the city council certain to retain a Democratic majority and Scott Stringer favored to become controller, the next election should give that party a level of power it hasn't experienced in decades, providing ample allies and few obstacles for de Blasio's agenda if he is elected. But Lockman, who is director of Wagner College's UCARI Institute for Government Reform on Staten Island, said it won't necessarily be a cakewalk. He's becoming mayor in a very difficult period, and I think he will try to meet the challenges of the times, but it's going to be difficult because he has progressive principles, and at the same time, New York City and the state are facing very difficult financial times in the near future. That's uh, the cover story from the Jewish Week. Then if you move inside the paper, in the uh, article that is... um, uh, that concentrates on the campaign of Joe Loda. It reads, When he arrived at the young Israel of Staten Island Sunday, Joe Loda was likely prepared to defend his positions on city issues, but when fielding questions, the Republican mayoral candidate seemed surprised to find himself defending his campaign. You have a PR problem, said one of the attendees at the Kojo of Staten Island breakfast. We don't see you enough. Wearing a large black felt yarmulke on a day laden with appearances at Jewish venues, Loda responded, I'm doing everything I can to get my name out there. I'm spending over a million dollars on television right now. My opponent is spending three or four times that amount. With several Orthodox men working on Jewish outreach in his campaign, it seems Loda has yet to pass up an invitation to a Jewish event, while Democrat Bill de Blasio makes far fewer public appearances. On Sunday, Loda did his best to project confidence. Every day I'm more and more encouraged, especially with the number of Democrats who come to me and talk to me about why they're going to vote for me and what their issues are. Consistent polls since he and de Blasio won their respective primaries, however, suggest there was never a race. A survey of registered voters by Siena College released Monday gave de Blasio a 45-point lead, showing 87% believe the contest is over and fewer than 10% are uncertain about their vote. So while polls are in recent history show Jews more receptive to voting Republican than other religious groups, it's been difficult for him to score endorsements from Jewish publications even those skeptical of de Blasio or from Jewish elected officials or community leaders. Why back a person who's sure to lose when you can go with a winner, said William Helmreich, a sociology professor at CUNY Graduate Center. I've spoken to people in various industries around the city and people who depend on the city for various reasons, and they're all going to go with de Blasio because it's a slam dunk. The only endorsements he will get are from people who have no stake in the game or who really like him because in politics people remember those things. That is from William Helmreich. That is part of the uh, article regarding the Joe Loda campaign. We will speak to Michael Fragan. It's his show. We'll speak to him coming up later on. First, Jacob Cornblue, who is um, on the campaign trail. You could read his material everywhere, certainly on Facebook and Twitter. And if you read Yeshiva World News, you will find his material everywhere. I am sure that uh, in the next few days he will start to feel a little bit of uh, campaign withdrawal. Jacob Cornblue, welcome to Spin Class. It's a pleasure to be on, Nachum. Am I right? You're getting ready for the big campaign withdrawal that's likely to take place starting on Tuesday? Absolutely. I mean, I'm just starting to take offers from November 6th of where to vacate. (laughs) You're wondering where where you're going to be heading on that day. 
Uh, isn't it amazing? We spoke a few weeks back, and uh, we spoke um, we spoke uh, maybe off the program uh, uh, during primary season. It, it is it, it's amazing to me how nothing has changed. There is there seems to be no energy, uh, no excitement in the Loda campaign. The 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 poll numbers are staggering. How a New York City mayoral election days before the actual vote can be with the discrepancy, the gap in poll numbers that it has is just hard to believe. You agree with my assessment that basically nothing's changed over the last couple of weeks? Nothing has basically changed in the dynamic of the race. I mean, it would be obvious to think that uh, the race will get a little closer. I'm not saying that it will be a turnaround. But, you know, once people really tune in and make up their decision and go to the ballot booth, there will be some rethinking. It's not going to change the race. The race is already determined. Uh, of course, Bill de Blauder has such a huge lead that if anybody would say that the polls are inaccurate, they need to go and visit a doctor. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I basically rely on polls. I'm not these guys that are delusion that say, well, the polls don't mean nothing. The only poll is on election day. However, it would be it would be interesting to see uh, if there's a low turnout because Bill de Blasio's people know he's winning. Or, no, it will be a large turnout because Bill de Blasio's people are motivated after 20 years of Republican rule that they're finally getting control of Gracie Mansion. So it would be interesting to see the turnout uh, how how the the race will go on for the next uh, uh, five days? I mean, uh, just uh, you know, just a few hours ago, uh, the U.S. Appeals Court uh, ordered uh, to remove Judge Shanglin from the case on stop and frisk, right. and called her decision pending. So this might be. I mean, it's not going to change the the total. Uh, 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 outcome of this race, but it might be something that would put in energy into Joe Loder to fight it out over the next five days. He's still reaching out to those uh, voting blocks that are already considering of backing the Blasio because of his large lead in the polls. So it will be interesting to watch how everything is going to break down in the final analysis. Jacob Kornblue with us, Spin Class, Nahum Siegel Network. Well, the scary part, though, and I understand what you're saying in terms of how it might get closer and, you know, the real vote is when people walk into the uh, voting booth. The scary part, though, if I was in the Loda campaign, is that according to the Siena poll, fewer than 10% are uncertain about their vote. If he were to have any hope of viewing this race as the prototypical case of don't believe the polls, he would need at least 30 or 40 percent to be undecided at this point. There's no question that, uh, I mean, if I were an operative or uh, one of the consulting uh, team in the loader race, I wouldn't, I would scratch my head and say what's going on. I mean, uh, there's literally no, nothing that would change the race, the outcome of the race. People, people got their decision made when they voted in Bill de Blasio uh, in the primary, in the Democratic right. primary. Right. It's not like people saw him then and, and you know, made up their mind but could change. They already made up their mind when they voted 
for Bill de Blasio in the primary. Now, if it would be a 50-50 electorate, you could understand that people could change their mind, uh, you know, after a week or or a 10-day boost that you get from the primary win. But the dynamics have not changed. And and if you look at the Republican Party, I mean, there's nobody there that is is enthusiastic about Lotus' uh, uh, candidacy. Even his rivals, I mean, John Katzmatidis has not gotten in line until this very moment. Today, he even claimed that if he would have won the Republican primary, he would have done much better. He would have had the money to compete, and he would have had a greater appeal to Democrats. So if nobody is united in the Republican Party, nobody is motivated, you take it as a foregone conclusion that Bill de Blasio is going to become mayor, what else can you do to change the race? And we were told that Rudy would be campaigning with him, and that never happened, huh? He's going to campaign with him tomorrow. Uh, that That is what Joe Loder claimed in an interview today, but he didn't disclose any details. So he might make an appearance here, an appearance there, but it's not going to motivate the base. Uh, Jacob Cornblue is with us. What's your assignment? you have to be with the Loder campaign, with either campaign, at any event? What is officially where you're supposed to be over these few weeks? Well, what I try to do is is, is run around and uh, go to the events of both, since um, nobody is, uh, has 10 or 15 events a day. So if there were more Jewish events on de Blasio's side, you'd be at more of his events? If Loder's more on the street, I am at more events, and it happens to be that uh, since I'm covering more the, the other aspect of the race, which is the Jewish vote, right. and... Bill de Blasio, although he's doing his outreach uh, on behalf of the Jewish community, all of these meetings are secretly are invisible. So what I get to do is run around and cover Joe Loder's events in the Orthodox Jewish community or in, in citywide events. It happens to be that he is more out there and his events are public. Right. Um, all right, Jacob, uh, tell me about some other races. Are there polls right now in the Heinz-Thompson race? Is there any reliable information? There's no reliable information uh, regarding uh, the, the the actual numbers on the race. Um, what I can tell you is that the Heinz uh, campaign uh, are like uh, walking in a tunnel, not knowing when the end of it will be. I mean, they they don't have too many endorsements. They don't have too many people that actually uh, are fear or accept um, their fear-mongering of a Brooklyn DA as Ken Thompson. So uh, Ken Thompson is still a Democrat. He's running in Brooklyn that is heavily Democratic. Uh, whoever's going to vote for Bill de Blasio is going to vote for Ken Thompson. Whoever's going to vote for, for Joe Loder, it's not going to be enough to make up for a win. However, he's running in Brooklyn. He's running aggressive uh, campaign in Bay Ridge, in Midwood and Flatbush, which might help some of the Republican candidates running there. The Republican candidates might help his candidacy. Uh, they are banking on on 150,000 votes, which which could bring them victory. But, you know, you can't rely on votes unless you bring them out. Um, I don't see, I don't see any path to victory for Heinz. 
you know, anything can happen. It's a little more competitive than the mayoral race. There's no question about it. But I would say Ken Thompson is at a clear lead in this race. I don't even know if you know the answer to this question, but with the public advocate race essentially over, with the borough president the Manhattan race essentially over, um, and I know there are a lot of other city, not citywide, but other elections that are taking place in New York City on Tuesday. If someone were to come to you from, I don't know, from a foreign country or another state and say, is there any race, just as an observer, I want to watch a close race somewhere in the five boroughs. Is there any race going on Tuesday that's close enough to really be intrigued by it? Yes. There's a council race actually in the Orthodox Jewish community, which is the 48th council district that was redrawn, and it's called now a super Russian district. It's not so super since, first of all, it's barely over 50% registered Russian voters. But in the Russian community, you have literally three candidates running for the Russian vote, where on the other side you have a Democrat who happens to be an Orthodox Jew, who happens to be a community activist, very popular in his neighborhood, um, and I'm talking about Chaim Deutsch. So he's really motivating his base. The community is um, solid behind him. They really want to win this race. And David Sorobin is still a uh, favorite, I would say. He's still a Republican, and the Republicans generally do good in these parts of Brooklyn. But, you know, with three candidates running uh, to court the Russian vote, it might not be enough to overcome the, the excitement in the Chaim Deutsches campaign earlier you said that um uh, most of the endorsements in the uh, mayoral race are going to de blasio and obviously there are there are uh, pretty um uh, obvious reasons for it uh any endorsement surprise you at all were you shocked that somebody endorsed loda who would have been better off politically position wise you know giving in and going for de blasio Uh, anybody who did endorse de blasio who you said to yourself my gosh that's a terrible sign for Loda that someone like that or a newspaper or a group like that is on de Blasio's side. Yeah, I would say that um, the Staten Island advance coming out and endorsing Bill de Blasio is a huge blow for wow. Joe Loda since, wow. you know, Staten Island never went Democratic. And it might be that this time around the Democratic uh, nominee is going to get the lead in all of the five boroughs, which is a uh, humongous uh, achievement for a Democrat running in a sort of conservative uh, base as Staten Island. Now that's, I think, the only uh, um, paper endorsement that I would say really uh, uh, says a lot about um, Joe Loder's campaign. In the Jewish community, the only paper, I think, that came out and endorsed Joe Loder was the Jewish Voice, which is a Sephardic-oriented uh, paper in Flatbush. I mean, they supported Bob Turner. They supported Charles Hines. They even supported Charles Hines on the Republican ticket. So it's not like a shock. And if you look at the other endorsements of Bill de Blasio, everybody cites that despite Joe Loder being more aligned with the issues of the Jewish community, he still the one that's going to become mayor the next four years. We can trust him because he has been on the scene 
We have seen him eight years as council member. We have seen him four years as public advocate. He has generally done good for the community. He has his relationships. He has his connections. And he is going to be the next mayor. So why, you know, go out against him and endorse a candidate that's not favorable to win? What do you think of de Blasio's overall strategy now that we see that he's on the brink of victory five days before the election and you think back to all, I'm sure you remember the day that uh, he announced his candidacy for mayor. So what do you think of his overall strategy, which is obviously very hard to criticize since it's a winning strategy, but uh, what, what, what is your overview about it? I think he, he was consistent since the beginning. I mean, the tale of two cities, you can mock it, you can make fun of it, and you could uh, say it's divisive. It was still consistent since he uh, launched his campaign on this cold Sunday in Park Slope. I mean, nobody, nobody ever imagined that he's going to come so close. And, you know, even in, in July, people suggested that, you know, the Blasio is only losing in this campaign because he has so much to lose. If he loses this race, he's over. He's not running for public advocate. He's uh, pretty young. And, you know, and what are you going to do next? But even he himself, I'm sure, everybody's going to tell you, well, I only run to win, and I always saw my path to victory. But I would say that his, his achievement in this race was that he had a message. And his message was a progressive message. He motivated his base. And people saw him as a likable guy, not somebody that, you know, threatens us. With his liberal agenda, everybody understands that New York is not the red state uh, that, uh, you know, the liberals are coming in and snatching it away from the hands of the Republicans. Everybody knows that Mike Bloomberg and Rudy Giuliani won on certain circumstances. He wouldn't have been so, had there not been 9-11, had Mayor Dinkins not done his misconduct in his first term. So it's obvious that whoever would win the Democratic primary would go on to win the general election. But I would say, to his advantage, Bill de Blasio, he didn't, he didn't act as a frontrunner. Although he's doing lesser events, he's not so much out in the public eye, he's not talking too much to the press, he's not revealing too, too much of too many stances on issues that matter to all communities, but he's still he's, he, he's fighting until the very bitter end. If you saw his, uh, his uh, debate um, tactics, it was always fight back or go on the offensive and not stay on the defensive. Whenever uh, Joe Loder had a good zinger, had a good line of attack, he always came back and rehashed his argument of, of Joe Loder being uh, divisive as Rudy Giuliani or painting Joe Loder as a hardliner Republican. So he had these tactics that usually a frontrunner wouldn't use if you already, you know, if, if you know already you're on course to win. So that proves to people that he'll be there for them, he'll fight for them, and he won't be the typical politician that once he gets into office, He'll just forget who elected him and just turn turn his back on his voters and his base. Uh, Jacob Cornblue, last few minutes with him as we uh, get set for Tuesday's election. Next time you'll hear Jacob on this show. 
Uh, we'll be with Michael Fragan when he is uh, invited to analyze things, and that'll be already with most likely Bill de Blasio being mayor or at least mayoral-elect of the city of New York. Uh, do you agree that everybody else involved in this race, uh, Lou, Thompson, Weiner, Quinn, um, even Katzmatidis to a degree, even Loda, if he does not win on Tuesday, are essentially done in New York City politics? Do you think anybody of this group could remain a factor over the next four years? I mean, it all depends how well de Blasio performs in, in exceeding expectations. If he fails in passing through his uh, pre-K uh, proposal, if he fails to reduce uh, the stop-and-frisk stops, that means that his liberal base won't be so motivated about his re-election uh, campaign. You can see a rematch uh of either uh, Loda versus de Blasio in 17, or even John Katsimatidis, like you saw in, in 1993, where Rudy Giuliani uh, went on to challenge uh, Mayor Dinkins. It's always uh, more of a, a, you know, Mitt Romney won the second time the nomination in Obama's second term. So you could still see one of these guys challenging it. In terms of Bill Thompson, I don't see where he comes back into politics. I'm sure he would go to the private sector or accept any government job. John Lou is is young. He still has a base. I just don't see where he goes from here. I mean, state, senate, and assembly wouldn't be uh, a preferable job for him. The same with Christine Quinn. Uh, as of the others, they were in for the race, knowing they're going to lose they have nothing to lose, but I don't see um, Anthony Weiner making a comeback. I don't see any of these other um, low-tier uh, candidates um, just, you know, trying again to raise money and to be on the political stage when it's so hard for them to challenge an incumbent mayor. Maybe when Hillary runs for president, she'll ask, uh, her, last, she'll ask her staff member's husband to campaign for her. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> two years from now, who knows what's going to be? Yeah. What's going to be left of us? That's true. Finally, Jacob Cornblue, there's got to be, and I'm sorry for putting you on the spot, but in all these months that you're following the campaign, there's got to be one moment, I don't know, one funny moment, one ironic moment, one. there's got to be something that for you just either symbolizes the campaign or for you is the highlight of the entire thing. And I'm not talking about... When I, when I moderated the mayoral forum, you don't have to say that. But <laughs> what I am talking about, is there a moment or a, uh, a soundbite that for you just uh, says it all in regard to the 2013 mayoral race? I mean, this, uh, the, the most ironic moment I would say is when I uh, recorded this video of Wiener in the shouting match on Arab Rosh Hashanah uh, with <laughs> Orthodox Jew in a bakery when it made uh, the headlines within 10 minutes, and uh, everybody was all over me. It was a few hours before the Zanon. I mean, uh, Good Morning America, Fox News, TMZ, and uh, the list goes on. Everybody wanted me the next morning to come into the studio for a one-on-one interview about this incident. So it was like something that I didn't anticipate. And, you know, I run around, I cover events. It happens to be I leave my uh, recorder, my video camera rolling, so it happens to be sometimes I would uh, capture a moment that others wouldn't see, but, you know, it's not, I feel like I I did this not so much of enjoying myself, which is always a pleasure to do, but it's also serving the purpose of 
highlighting the candidates reaching out to the community, highlighting what the candidates really think about the issues that matter to most New Yorkers, and also being like the man in between, between the candidates and the voters. Sometimes you would never get to see the candidate, or you, you would never get the opportunity to ask a question from the candidate, but since I'm the one that reports about it, or the one that asks the questions and then publishes online, you would always get an opportunity to see what the candidate's position on the matter is or what they have done to earn your vote. So do you, do you, I feel inspired by that. Do you even know the first name of the person fighting with Wiener? I don't, I don't recall. <laughs> That's so funny, I'll tell you. If someone becomes a newsmaker and nobody even knows who they are, it's the funniest thing. Um, do, do we know who the new mayor of Newark is, by the way? Cory Booker was sworn in today as a United States Senator of New Jersey. I don't even know who the mayor of I Newark have is. No idea. I, I have no idea who the Prime Minister of Israel is at this moment <laughs> because I'm so tuned in into mayoral race. Jacob, thank you so much. It's been amazing speaking to you over these weeks, and I hope... And Malcolm, it's been, it's been a pleasure being on your show. I know you are the moderator of all times. It was... It was like a dream for me to be interviewed by you. Unfortunately, Michael Fragan is taking over the mic, so <laughs> we'll have to find a jam in the AM morning uh, uh, time to, to hang out. You are invited, but I know Michael appreciates your visits as well. Thank you so much, Jacob. <laughs> Enjoy the election. It all starts 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be on Standard Time by Election Day. It all starts 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday. That's when the polls open in New York. Should be very interesting, those 15 hours while the polls are open. And then, of course, the decision will be announced. The decision of the city of New York and its residents will be announced. Should be very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, I thank you for listening to Spin Class. We are uh, at the Nachum Siegel Network. Michael Fragan is scheduled to join in with us over the next few minutes. And as soon as he is available, he, in fact, will join us here at the um, at Spin Class. He'll be here uh, back in this chair next week, and you'll get a, a much broader perspective than what I've been presenting. Uh, since he's part of the Loda campaign, uh, we have been presenting a relatively narrow picture. We did a little bit of New Jersey a couple of weeks back, but we've been presenting a pretty narrow picture, really just focusing with those who are on the front lines of the campaign uh, for mayor, what's been happening, and that's why uh, Michael's been joining us for his own show over these last few weeks. But uh, he has explored uh, during this time slot uh, elections in New York and New Jersey, elections up in Rockland County, elections in Nassau County, elections in other places of the world. So um, Spin Class is really a full-service show when it comes to government and politics. We've just really been focusing on the New York City mayoral race and to some degree the uh, Democratic primary for controller and the public advocate. Uh, during this time slot over the last few weeks. It's the Nahum Siegel Network. Earlier today, Cory Booker was sworn in as United States Senator from the state of New Jersey. Here's what it sounded like in the U.S. Senate, presided over by the President of the Senate, Vice President Biden, on spin class on the Nahum Siegel Network. The chair lays before the Senate a certificate of election to fill the vacancy created by the death of Senator Frank of New Jersey. The certificate, the chair is advised, is in the form suggested by the Senate. If there is no objection, the reading of the certificate will be waived and it will be printed in full in the record. 
If the senator-elect will now present himself at the desk, the chair will administer the oath. At this point, uh, Cory Booker and Senator Menendez of New Jersey are approaching the front on the uh, Senate floor. Right there. Come on up here, Frank. I'm afraid. Bob, okay. Would you please raise your right hand? Put your left hand in the Bible. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you're about to enter? So help you God. I do. Congratulations, Senator. Thank Welcome you to the Senate. The sounds of uh, Cory Booker being sworn in today, U.S. Senator from the state of New Jersey. Congratulations, Mr. Booker. He is now Senator Booker, and he joins Senator Bob Menendez in the state of New Jersey. And I think one has to agree that uh, when it comes to uh, foreign policy issues that are important to our community, uh, Cory Booker is a good addition and a worthy replacement in that regard uh, for Frank Lautenberg in the United States Senate from New Jersey. And uh, how, what position he will take and, and what type of uh, senator he will be in the um, in the United States Senate will remain to be seen. It should be very interesting, actually, to see where he falls on very, very important votes that will be coming up. Uh, and a year from now, Cory Booker runs again, as he'll uh, run for a full term, no doubt, as United States Senator from New Jersey. My name is Nachum Siegel. Spin class here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, Michael Fragan usually in this chair. Michael Fragan is scheduled to join us. And he will, in fact, join us coming up if you keep it right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Follow us on Twitter at Nahum Siegel Net. Follow us on uh, Facebook by liking the Facebook update page, Jewish Radio World with Nahum Siegel. Again, that's Jewish Radio World with Nahum Siegel. This break, and then uh, we are anticipating um, Michael Fragan joining us from the Loda Campaign Trail. Keep it right here. Oh, one second. We may have him right now. I believe we, in fact, have Michael Fragan from the Joe Loda Campaign Trail joining us here on Spin Class and the Nahum Siegel Network. Michael, is that you? Nahum, good evening. Good evening, sir. Pleasure to speak with you. A a mere five days till Election Day. Hard to believe, huh? i got to tell you, for those, those out there who have been involved in campaigns for this mayoral race, which some of them started like two years ago. Wow. It's got to, it's got to feel, or, and, you know, people like Jacob Cornblow have been following it for so long. He must be exhausted. Yeah, he says that he's going to uh, try his best to choose a spot on Tuesday to vacate to, and essentially, uh, where, hop- where does Jacob vacation? We're going to, we're going to find we, out. We're going to find yeah. out because, because I think we should give him the treatment that he gives the candidates. I think we should follow him around and keep that video camera on while he's vacationing. <laughs> Would that be unfair? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that that might be in the TMI category. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding around. All right, uh, I, the scary part, and we were discussing this earlier in the show. Uh, the scary part for the Loda campaign is, is, frankly, I mean, the numbers are scary, the poll numbers. But then again, we know that polls are not always 
the uh, end all and be all, but uh, or the be all and end all, I should say. But the um, the scary part is that voters who claim to at this point be undecided about their vote, according to the Siena poll, is less than ten percent. And I would guess that Joe Loda and his campaign, Michael, you being part of it, were counting on there being a large undecided vote still at this point. So, Nachum, if you're just as far as, I don't know if you got into the breaking news this afternoon, uh, which is pretty incredible, that a that the Court of Appeals of the uh, Second Circuit yeah. uh, has essentially, for all intents and purposes, overturned the federal judge's ruling in the stop-and-frisk case, as it is known. Not only did they overturn it, they removed the judge Correct. from the case. Right. They took her off the case. Right. And... You, you know, this has kind of been the, I think, a big dividing line between Joe Loda and Bill de Blasio in this race. In fact, Bill de Blasio at the last debate said, a federal judge said it's wrong. A federal judge said it was wrong, as if, you know, that's the objective criteria to say, well, the, you know, the NYPD is doing something wrong. And here, that entire thing is kind of turned on its head because the appeals court basically said, well, not only are we going to stay her ruling, but we're going to take her off the case because she acted inappropriately. Uh, I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if that is unprecedented, but it seems in the following, this is a this is a really astounding uh, development. Just in, ex- uh, ex- and it's a, and and it certainly has re- something that has will has ramifications. All right, so explain to us how this would affect the numbers. Well, I can't go into the numbers, and I, you know, I'm not going to go in. No, no, no. I don't. Know. No, I don't mean that. Explain to us why this might propel the Loda campaign. Is what I'm saying. Well, I, I think that Bill de Blasio and, you know, Democrats in general kind of hung their hat on this ruling is saying, well, if you don't believe us that the NYPD acted inappropriately for so long and that Bloomberg acted inappropriately and Ray Kelly is bad and all these guys, they're all acting nefariously and maliciously towards, towards the community. Well, you know, a federal judge and, you know, I think to a lot of people, a federal judge, a federal judge agrees. That's kind of an objective gold standard there right. and once you take that away and say not only did the not only did the judge know it was the judge wrong on the merits according to the according to the appeals court but she also acted inappropriately in the way she conducted the trial and the hearing and and, and the whole bit uh, and uh, you know I probably I think if I was if I was hosting I would hopefully get some legal analysis get somebody on the show who could do that I'm kind of armchairing this uh, but uh, I, I think that that would, I think that that whole objective, objectiveness has kind of turned on its head. I don't know, you know, how does Bill de Blasio now react to this? I don't think we'll, we'll all know because he doesn't really, you know, give any, give any media availability and he's not out there campaigning and he hasn't been out there, uh, which is unfortunate, I think, for this race and that he's kind of been going through the motions. But it's unfortunate to the people. But I think hopefully people will wake up and say, what's going on here? This doesn't make any sense at all. Why would I support Bill de Blasio if, if you know, he's, he's been totally wrong about this issue? And it's a signature issue. Michael Fragan with us, uh, spin class, Michael Fragan's show. He'll, in fact, be in this chair hosting again next week. Um, what happened today? What was the, aside from this big news, and obviously it is a uh, big breaking news, which could affect things, uh, what was on the campaign trail today? Who did you meet? Where, were, where was uh, Joe Loda this afternoon? Well, Joe Loda will be campaigning in Borough Park and Flatbush this evening, uh, hitting, uh, hitting, doing some pre-Shabbos shopping at Pomegranate and Gourmet Hut, and uh, possibly making a Sean stop. 
now, never know. Now, one second. Does someone need to make a pomegranate and gourmet glot stop on a tour? Wouldn't one of those supermarkets be sufficient to do one's Shabbos shopping? Nothing. Don't you occasionally like certain things, like the grieven in one place and the chopped liver in another place? You're making a you, very important point. You've never, you've never had that. Yes. Yeah, you're making you've never a... had that, that, that craving for you know a certain delicacy at a specific joint. You're making you know a that, very important point. Joe is that point. kind of guy. He's a connoisseur. <laughs> you're making a very important point. <laughs> Has he tried Cholent at any point during this campaign? Uh, I'm not going to comment. <laughs> on specific uh, gastronomic intake right now, <laughs> but uh, let's let's just say that he, I, I think, as he's told me, uh, you know, campaigns are not for meant to be losing weight. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Michael, I don't know if you can comment on this. I'm curious about it. it. Doesn't have to be tonight, but hey, it would keep the show a little bit more exciting if you could. We mentioned this earlier in the show. Uh, do, do you suspect at this point? And again, I am now assuming that either Joe Loder or Bill De Blasio will be in office as of January as mayor of the city of New York. I'm not assuming anything else, uh, meaning I'm not giving the race exclusively to one candidate. Those who were involved in this campaign, aside from them, uh, the highest profile people, uh, Quinn, Wiener, Thompson, um, uh, Lou, Katzmatidis, are they essentially out of this picture now? Four years from now, will we see or hear any of their names? Four years from now, whether they be running for mayor, I think, is your question. Yeah, or, or anything else, maybe. I think that uh, Bill Thompson will have a tough time. There's a general rule in politics. If you run for the same office twice and you don't make it, it's very difficult to run a third time. Right. And that applies you know, kind of up and down, up and down the line. Although uh, I did notice in the first district, congressional district, there is a Republican named George Demos who is now making his third run, third consecutive run for the... Uh, seat now held by Tim Bishop. He hasn't won the Republican primary uh, the last two times. So you do have people who are perennial candidates. But aside from that, uh, Christine Quinn follows a, a, uh, a an unfortunate tradition of city council speakers, as Peter Vallone before her and Gifford Miller before her. Before her. Uh, I'm sorry, I mean, that, that was out of sequence. Yeah, Gifford but Miller before her and judge. Peter Vallone before him, right. Exactly, and uh, he follows that tradition of the city council uh, speaker being unable to make it into uh, Gracie Mansion. Uh, it's, I, I think it's going to be tough for her to run again. I think that that is going to be, I think it'll be very, very challenging. Uh, John Liu, he's a man with the base, but it's hard to see where he goes and what he runs for. And you have to remember with the Democrats, let's just assume that, Bill de Blasio uh, might win. It'd be very difficult for any of them to challenge him. For if Joe Loda were to win, it'd be very difficult for a Republican to challenge him. So uh, John Katzmatidis, it's hard to know what John Katzmatidis might run as because he's certainly not ideological. Right. Uh, so he's the one person of that group that I could see running again. And then you also have the other uh, candidates who are independent in this, like Jack Hittery, uh, who made a splash when he first got in but doesn't seem to really have made any noise whatsoever in this entire race, and it's hard to understand exactly why he was running and what he was running for. Uh, and uh, Adolfo Carrione, who at one point was thought to be a factor, and I think I mentioned this last week, and really has gained no traction whatsoever. He had a very came in with a, with a significant campaign war chest and has not been a factor in this race at all. Has there been any... Um... Uh, not communication, but any type of, I don't know, teamwork 
interest from one to the other in terms of the Loda campaign and the very close race that's going on for the city council district that we are very uh, focused on in Brooklyn, New York? Have any of the candidates, I don't know, been with Joe Loda? Has he made a comment about that race? Or uh... Uh, David Starobin is supporting Joe Loda, and Joe Loda is supporting David Starobin. And there's no question we are anticipating a significant turnout uh, from Russian-American, Russian-speaking voters in southern Brooklyn, and uh, I like David Starobin's chances. And in the... uh, I, I know I know Chaim Deutsch many years. I think he's a, a wonderful uh, public servant and is, really has a fantastic track record. Uh, I, think, unfortunately, I think, unfortunately for him, the demographics makeup of this district, I think, make it challenging uh, for him, but you know anything's possible in South Brooklyn. Uh, it was uh, it was it was surprising when David Strobin run his, won his state senate race, and uh, so anything's possible. And uh, is that the only race in the five boroughs that, according to the poll numbers, I know obviously there are other races we have to be concerned about, but according to the poll numbers, is really neck and neck. Is there any other race that you can cite of everything happening in New York City that, according to the polls, I don't want anyone to get in trouble, according to the polls. Is really really tight. It's really amazing, isn't it, that we come upon election day and we have to look around because there's nothing competitive. It really makes you scream for nonpartisan elections, right? Like most cities have right. out there. Uh, most large cities have a nonpartisan election. The primary is open to anybody from any party, and then the top two go into election day. We go into November fifth, and a lot of the races are decided before they happen, and it's it's not good for democracy. There's no question because the turnout in the primaries is very, very low. And as I've, I've said before, only 23% of registered Democrats voted in the primaries. So many, many people missed their chance to have influence on the mayor's, mayor's race. And only, I think, it was a, a smaller number of registered Republicans. So many, many people have missed their chance to have a, to have a uh, impact. Obviously, less there are fewer registered Republicans. But and anybody who's an independent voter, really, they have... Missed that chance. So it's it's unfortunate from my point of view. There is one race that they say might that is possibly competitive on election day in Northeast Queens, uh, which pits uh, uh, another Valone, uh, Paul Valone, against uh, Dennis Saffron, and that's a district uh, that's held by Dan Halloran, which is currently a Republican. Uh, but that would seem to be the, the one of the, the few races that are actually competitive going into Election Day. And it is unfortunate. I think when people are looking for competitive elections right now, they're looking to the suburbs, and these suburban races are very, very tight and very, very interesting. Yeah, we mentioned there are a few of those that are very worth watching. Uh, finally, Michael Fragan, I couldn't do it. Jacob Cornblue couldn't do it. We'll see if you can become the hero of spin class. Do you know the answer to this? And again, no pressure. We have we Both of us had no clue. Now that the Brand new United States Senator from New Jersey is Cory Booker. Do you have any clue who the new mayor of Newark, New Jersey is? Uh, well, I know it's the city council president. I know he's Latino. I can't remember his name. I think his last name starts with a T. And he was recently elected about five, a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, three to five weeks ago, as the city council president in, in Newark, New Jersey. You are, a, uh, you are a better man than I am. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I can't say that while you're at the control booth, so uh, I'm going to pass on that question. Well, I will tell you, you did very well. A much more comprehensive answer than uh, we could come up with over here, that's for sure. And we have the Internet right next to us. Um, uh, Michael Fragan, I thank you. Well, I know we could get a lifeline. <laughs> I should have, yeah. I should have asked for a phone a friend. Uh, good luck on Tuesday. 
Um, I'm sure it's going to be an exhilarating day for you, and no matter what happens, because election day always is, especially for someone like yourself who uh, likes the process and and finds it to be challenging. So a uh, a good luck on Tuesday. I believe the polls are open for 15 hours from 6 a.m. until 9 p.m. 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. and everybody should exercise the right to vote. No matter who you vote for, people should stand up and be counted. It's, uh, it's a terrible travesty that people don't participate in the electoral process. And uh, just give one shout out, if I can, uh, to uh, to my good uh, and old friend Yitzhak Fleischer, who I read today uh, was the man who made Bill De Blasio. So, win or lose for Bill De Blasio, he owes it all to you. All right, Yitzhak Fleischer, a shout-out to you. Michael Fragan, we look forward to having you back in this chair next week. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nachum. Spin class at the Nachum Siegel Network. The host, Michael Fragan. The last few weeks, Michael's been on the campaign trail. He has been uh, working for Joe Loda. And uh, if Mr. Loda becomes mayor of the city of New York next Tuesday, if he's elected, uh, Michael Fragan will certainly get a great deal of the credit, that's for sure. He's done quite a job, and he'll be back in this seat next week, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Spin Class right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. We will take a musical break and then wrap up this uh, edition of Spin Class on a Thursday night at the Nahum Siegel Network. Baruch Levine for that little musical interlude. 
I thank all of you for tuning in. My thanks to Jacob Cornblue and to Michael Fragan, of course, for joining me here at Spin Class. My thanks to Michael Fragan in general for allowing me to be in this chair over the last few weeks. We wish him and Joe Loda and uh, Bill de Blasio and everybody involved in campaigns this Tuesday good luck. And I guess what we have to hope for most is, number one, that as many people as possible show up to the polls. A lot of folks are not enthused, are not motivated to go and do so. So try, try to remind everybody how important it is to go vote, especially when you when you have um, parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents who would have given their right arm, and I do mean that literally, to exercise a right to vote. Let's not take it for granted. That's number one. Number two, make sure you know where you're voting, where your uh, voting booth is, where your polling place is. And um, let's hope that the next public officials, after all the rhetoric and after all the back and forth and all the accusations and all the name-calling, let's hope that the public officials who are elected, in fact, uh, stand for the uh, power of the people and stand for justice and stand for uh, getting a job done the way it should be done with the uh, health and welfare and good and welfare of the people at the forefront. That's what needs to be. Let's hope and pray that's what's going to happen. Next week at this time, it will in fact be Michael Fragan in this chair at the Nahum Siegel Network, the uh, fresh edition of Spin Class with what I'm sure will be a very interesting perspective of Michael Fragan post the campaign and post the election uh, will be uh, on the uh, stream for you at the Nahum Siegel Network beginning at 6 p.m. Eastern Time Thursday night of next week. Thanks so much for listening. More great music and programming all through the night. JM in the AM with me, Nahum Siegel, coming up at 6 a.m. and at 7.40 in the morning, the current events, the events of the week, will be explored with Malcolm Holmline in what we call the weekly update. Make sure to be tuned in all through the night and, of course, all day tomorrow, all the way until candle lighting at the Nahum Siegel Network. I thank everybody for listening in and being part of Spin Class at jmnam.org and NahumSiegel.com. Thank you.